welcome to Peterson's Bowhunting Radio, the official podcast of hardcore bowhunters. From the latest archery equipment and expert shooting advice to proven bowhunting tactics and the sport's biggest personalities, we've got you covered. Now, here's your host, Editor Christian Bird. All right, welcome back to Peterson's Bowhunting Radio. We are the voice of bowhunting and uh, want to wish all of you uh, a very Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year. And if we're around the holidays, that means that it is time to talk some late season bow hunting. And to accomplish just that, I have uh, my friend and frequent bow hunting contributor clint casper as our guest clint welcome back to peterson's bow hunting radio hey Kristen, happy to be back on it's been a little been a little while since we've got to uh hit the record button but uh i've been looking forward to this one you uh you know i'm a late season uh white-tailed junkie of a sort oh absolutely you know you um you've got a feature article in our january february issue that's out right now and that was a story uh, about various ways that you've been successful in the late season, and in particular, um, the big six, as you called him, which was a real um, old, mature buck that you tagged there out in Ohio, uh, not too far uh, from your place, and uh, what a great buck, and also what a a great effort you put in to tagging that deer because you chased that one for a long time. Yeah. Yeah. That was, um, man, I was super, uh, just super blessed to be able to hunt that buck and, and have, you know, a couple years worth of history. And, um, it was, you know, he was one of those deer that you just, you, you always hunted him, but it was kind of almost, um, like you were chasing a ghost. It was just really hard to, you know, to really, I never honestly felt like I had an upper hand or had that buck figured out, um, until the late season came, um, you know, the year I killed him, um, that would have been 2000 and, uh, let's see, 2018, um, up to that point, I just felt like I was always a step behind, but we got a ton of snow and some really, really, really cold, like negative degree weather. And I just really felt like I, I had him figured out and he was going to have to move before, you know, it was dark. Um, and I just really thought, man, if, if I hunt this window, you know, I think he's going to give me an opportunity and as luck would have it, I was there, you know, on the night he decided to show up, you know, 20, 30 minutes before dark and it ended up working out, but yeah, it was a long year. Uh, I devoted it all to that buck and on the 90, I think it was 96 or 97 days, of hunting that deer. So I'm, we'll say the 97th day, um, is when I finally, <laughs> finally got him killed. I, I think, I think I hunted 97 or 96 out of a possible like 113 up, up to that point. Um, all for that buck. So yeah, it was a, uh, it was a roller coaster ride. Um, but luckily it ended with, uh, me, me being able to wrap my hands around him in about a foot of snow on a negative 13 degrees January day. So yeah, it, uh, it all worked out. But it was uh, it was quite the quite the bow hunt. One that I uh, probably would have to say is maybe my favorite buck I've ever hunted, just because he was aged at eight and a half years old. You know, just just an old brute, and it was just fun to finally beat him at his own chess match. So, yeah, can't uh, couldn't have been more happy on that day, no doubt. Well, certainly was a great accomplishment. There's no doubt about that. You know, you mentioned a few things in there right off the bat that just made me shiver, literally, because, uh, you, you know, you know this, Clint, and, and, uh, but I don't know that all the, the listeners do, but when it comes to the late season, I'm not exactly at the very front of the line when they say, who wants to go do some late season hunting? And uh, first and foremost reason for that is, I really don't like the cold. And, uh, you know, you mentioned that particular day you took the big six was really cold, I think it was pretty windy, too, and I'll let you talk about it more later, but I'm pretty sure we discussed this when we hunted together 
uh, back in October, you, you got some frostbite on that hunt and your fingers and toes are never going to be the same. So uh, you, you paid a price for the success that you had that day in, in more ways than one. There's just a lot of things to me, Clint, that are tough about the late season. Here in Pennsylvania, my goodness, you know, by the time we've had six weeks of archery hunting, and then bear season comes and guys are in the woods, you know, chasing bears, but then they're bumping deer. Then we've got two weeks of rifle hunting. And then the late archery season comes in the day after Christmas. And it also coincides with the late uh, flintlock season. Those deer have just been harassed and harassed. And the woods are so bare. And the food sources are tough to find because, you know, I don't have the the luxury of having a nice piece of managed ground with food plots and man i just always feel like the odds are stacked against me and i've never honestly killed a late season buck and and part of it is because you know i guess thankfully most of the time i'm done by then but even in the years when i'm not the reason is clear is because i'm not putting the time in out there i've hunted very half-heartedly late season over the course of my bow hunting life and I know I'm not the only one there's probably a lot of other folks who are listening to the show today who think yeah I have never really either put much effort into the late season or I've been afraid to put effort into the late season because of some of those things that Christian just mentioned Um, and yet here's a guy like you who's had numerous successes in the late season. So, you know, I'm, I'm going to do like one of those social media memes where it's me, you know, sitting in my bed underneath all my covers with my jammies on and the text says, I think late season hunting is a waste of time. Change my mind. So there you have it, Casper. Change my mind. Your vision is blurry, Mr. Berg, on late season hunting, and I'm going to have to clear it up for you. That's just all there is to it. I'm going to have to, I'm going to, have to change your mind and make Christian Berg great again when it comes to whitetail hunting the late season. Absolutely. Bring it. Bring it. Tell me what I've been missing. Where am I going wrong here? I think, I think be successful in late season. I think you have to start – um, first and foremost, it's a, it is a mental mindset that has to be there. And what I mean by that is, okay, like for me, um, I start my hunts in August out West. So I'm, I'm, I'm hunting, you know, whether it's elk, mule deer, antelope, maybe it's a combination of all three before my whitetail season even starts. I've already got 20, usually 20 some days in the field. Then our bow season starts. It's a grind. You know, you're hunting the early season, the pre-rut, then you're, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm pounding dark till dark in the rut. Um, I love to hunt that dark to dark, you know, um, phase whenever the ruts rock and that, that's, I'm, I'm just a big fan of being in the woods as much as possible. Then you hit late season and you've got to really find another year. You know, you're tired, you're worn out. Maybe you've missed a buck. Maybe you've blown opportunities. I mean, a lot of guys' mindsets, they almost have to get reset to get back into late season hunting. And the way I look at it is, we're down to the bottom of the ninth. I mean, it's, there's five seconds left. It's fourth and one on the goal. I mean, this is it. You've, you've only got one last chance here to score. So I think guys have to self-motivate themselves and, and put themselves in the right state of mind to be successful in late season because it's been a long year. And, you know, like I said, maybe you haven't had opportunities or maybe you've blown opportunities or maybe your buck got killed by the neighbor. Maybe Maybe he got hit by a car. Maybe he's disappeared. Whatever the case may be, you have to overcome the mental side of things, in my opinion, first. Once you get your mind right and get refocused that, okay, I've only got, let's say it's a month left. Then you've got to go for eight or nine months with no deer hunting, no bow hunting whitetails. That's how I always look at it. Man, I want to finish strong. I want to pound it out right now and grind till the end because come July, I'm going to be sitting on a tractor raking hay in 95-degree heat going, gosh, dang, I'd do anything to be in a tree stand right now with a foot of snow and 10-degree weather hunting whitetails. And that's, and I, I think about that every year in the, in the summer when it's blazing hot, gosh, I'd love to be in a tree and there'd be snow on the ground right now. So I think once you put yourself in that 
frame of mind, now you're ready to get back into it. So, you, so, so you change your perspective. You've got oh, you to have, have to. a proper yeah. perspective. And you know, when you were when you were talking right there, you know, and you're getting fired up, man. And I just that's oh, yeah. one thing I love about you, Casper, is you've got the fire in your belly. You know what I mean? And and you're talking, and you know who I was thinking of? You'll never. I'll just tell you because you'll never guess it. How would you? It's to, totally random. Um, I was thinking of Billy Blanks from Tybo. I don't know if you ever remember him. He had these exercise videos. I used to do some of these Tybo workouts with Billy Blanks. He really? was like this. Yeah, it was like this kick kickboxing type thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And he would always. I think he. I think he says all these inspirational things like those workout gurus do. But uh, yeah. one, one thing he always said, I something along the lines of, if you get your mind right, your body will follow. When he would talk about how you have to have the right mindset and attitude yep. for a yep. workout program. If you want to change your body, oh, that's what he would say. If you want to change your body, you have to change your mind. Okay? Yep, well, it's the same thing. If you want to change your bow hunting, you have to change your mindset and your attitude. And when your mind is right, your actions will follow. Because I can tell you from personal experience, okay, going back to exactly what I told you before I said change my mind, if your mind is that there is no opportunity or the odds are stacked against you, or like you said, no, my buck was killed by the neighbor. My buck hasn't been on the camera. Guess what? When that alarm goes off and it's 15 degrees outside and 15 mile an hour winds, you're not going to get out of bed. You are not getting out of bed. Absolutely. So, I, I mean, I think it's a great, I think it's a great point and that's where you have to start. So yep. if you, if you're listening to the show today and you're sitting out there with a buck tag still in your pack and you know that, you know, it's not going to be easy because that's the truth nope. of it, right? It's never yep. really easy. It, it's yep. never easy to kill yep. a big buck. And then the yep. late season, it's, it is harder because First of all, there's fewer big buck left, right? Because every yep. deer that's been yep. killed from opening day of archery through the gun seasons is now gone. Um, yep. Yeah, and, and, and you know, the cover is minimal in, in the woods. Um, yep. And food sources, I know. Let's talk about that food next. Because to me, it, you know, Winky is big on that, right? One of our field editors, Bill's been writing for us for years and years, and, and he's good. He's good when it comes to whitetails. There's no doubt about it. And Bill's oh, thing yeah. about late season hunting is if you don't have a food source, you're really going to be swimming against the tide. Period. End of story. So why don't you just address that, and then we'll go from there. Absolutely. I mean, after after the mental game, the next thing you got to do is if you want to tag a buck, you got to find a buck. And right now in late season, I mean, it, it is a very, very, very strict bed to feed, feed to bed. Now, now I, I do want to add, you will have a little bit of running activity going on throughout the late season with does that did not get caught and bred the very first cycle. You've got yearlings. So keep that in mind. I've, I've been on hunts where I've watched bucks fight in the end of December. I've watched bucks breed does in the end of December, early January. I've watched buddies go out and, and miss deer, kill deer, should have killed deer, etc. that were running in late season. Uh, I won't mention any names, but I filmed a buddy that – that goofed up a, a, an easy 20 yard shot on an absolute giant who was dogging a yearling for 30 minutes on December 28th. This would have been like four or five years ago. And that buck should have been dead to rights. Um, just a little bit of buck fever got the best of him and shot right over his back. But nonetheless, there is that possibility to keep in your back pocket that that could happen at any moment. Now it's hard to predict. No one really knows when another doe might come in or if she was missed or when the yearlings, but I'm just throwing that out there. That, that does happen, but food is key. I mean, uh, the great winky is a prime example of a guy that's figured this out years ago. I mean, the, the guy lives, eats, sleeps and breathes late season whitetails on food sources or bedding 
and then transition zones into feed. I mean, but you have to locate where food is and where they're going to get food because that's right now after the rut, these bucks, some of these bucks lose, you know, 15, 20, 25% of their body weight and mass. They have to rebuild. They have to gain calories and get muscle put back on and get fat, you know, reserves built back up to survive the winter months. And they know that. So well, so yeah, and so here's here's you know let me interrupt for a second. Here's the difference, right now. You you're in Ohio and I'm in Pennsylvania, yep. so we're honestly right next to each other geographically. Yep. But Pennsylvania is a not baiting state. Ohio is a, a baiting state. You can put a bag of corn somewhere uh, in your hunting area and try to use that to draw deer in. I can't do that. You may have, you're also a farmer. You know, your family is in yep. the farming business. You could potentially leave uh, a couple acres of corn or soybeans yep. standing and hunt that for the late season or Absolutely. put in a food plot. Where I hunt, even though I hunt on farms, I'm just hunting on permission. And I can assure you that the farmers who allow me to hunt on their property have very little interest in feeding deer during the summer when they're growing their crops, never mind leave any of it stand for the deer to eat. So yep. I, don't, I don't have any standing crops and I can't put food on the ground. So in your mind, you know, how, how does that affect a guy like me versus a guy like you? And I want you to just, you know, people don't, the other thing is, you know, I use the B word. I don't know if it's like a dirty word no one ever really wants to talk about it good grief late season like if you live in a state where you can bait and you're not going to use it in the late season i don't know when you're going to use it um i'm tired of people i'm tiptoeing around it and acting like it's something that we should all be ashamed of i mean i think it's a tool just like any other tool and in the, the places where you can use it by all means use it so yeah talk to me about the whole issue of you know trying to get this done in places like like Pennsylvania and a lot of other states where you can't bait, yep. there there might not be an obvious food source like standing crops. You know, maybe there's guys who live in uh, suburban areas around, you know, big big cities uh, up and down the East Coast that you know there's plenty of deer there. But what are those deer eating? They're they're like eating people's shrubs in their yard or yep. something yep. like that. How do how do you pattern those deer? Well, I'll tell you, there's a there's a lot of good pluses to having. Um, like what I have where, where you can bait or you, you have crops, um, food plots, et cetera. But here's something that a lot of people don't think about. And here's the negative. And, and here's the drawback to my state versus your state. Um, let's talk about the, 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 the infamous B word, the, the, the baiting, whether it's apples, corn, whatever, um, can be a great tool. If done correctly and properly, and the guy that plays the wind and runs the camera and, and, and checks it and, and figures out a pattern, big bucks will die over bait piles if done properly. But, but here is a big problem that this state has run into. Everybody thinks, or I shouldn't say everybody, but a lot of people think if you throw bait down, and you put a camera on it and a ladder stand above it 25 yards away and you hunt that thing sooner or later a big buck will appear and i'm here to tell you that is wrong and a lot of people are educating big deer mature does and bucks to not come to these bait sites until it's dark because they're not doing the little things that you have to do play the wind have a good entry and exit i can just hear bill winky right now screaming at the top of his lungs because I know his major proponent in late season is entry and exit and the wind on top of food sources. And he would just be rolling his eyes, shaking his head at just this grief on the guys that don't play the wind when it comes to these bait piles or even food plots or fields. Now, a guy like you, you mentioned you don't have food plots, no standing crops, no baiting. Let me tell you where your golden nugget is. Your golden nugget is when you do figure out where the food source is, let's say it's an acorn flat that's 400 yards back off the fields that dropped acorns late. You put a camera back there because you did some scouting. You took an afternoon on a Sunday when you're not able to hunt and you went and did some scouting, found a bunch of deer sign on this oak flat. 
It's December 22nd. You slap a camera up and say, I'll be back in five days to check you. Or maybe it's a cell camera. And all of a sudden, all these deer are hitting this. Guess what? You want to know why your odds are better than mine right now in this very given moment? Because there's one food source those deer are concentrated on. You might have deer for miles coming to that one spot where the food is right now. Here in Ohio, where I'm at, you know how many cornfields, bean fields, food plots, and bait piles there are around where I hunt? It'd blow your mind. Now, good luck trying to figure out exactly when your buck is going to be at each one of those spots or how many times is he going to visit your bean field before he moves to the neighbor's bean field. And in late season, it's all about patterns. You want to find a pattern. You want to figure out the wind that buck likes, when he likes to be there. Maybe it's weather. Maybe it's the moon phase. Maybe it's all variables combined. You, my friend, on that oak flat, have a way better chance of figuring out a solid plan and pattern than I do when there's 97 different options for my buck to go eat. Guess what? Your buck's locked in on acorns right now. Now, he's not going to be there forever. Once those acorns are gone off that flat, guess what? He's going to relocate. He's going to move. He's going to head to the next spot. But if you can figure out what a buck's doing right now on one food source, if that's the only food source available, you have the golden ticket, my friend. And that's where a guy like you, that's where the cameras and the in-season scouting, I'm a huge proponent right now of taking a night off of hunting or an afternoon off of hunting. And if you're not seeing what you want to see, go find it. Go, go run your oak flats. Go look at your green briar thickets. Figure out what are these deer eating on right now? Where's all the sign? Where's all the beds? If you bump some deer, okay, big deal. But at least you can figure out and start to put together an idea of what's happening. And once you've got that figured out, let's say you're hunting big timber. And it's like I just described, it's an oak flat that's on fire right now. Guess what? You need to get there and you need to hunt it right now. Not a week from now, right now. Get in there. Your chances of a big buck coming in there because he knows the food is hot right now. He's got to get it before everybody else gets it. That puts odds in your favor versus what I'm doing where there's 97 fields and food pots and corn piles. And my deer have multiple opportunities to get their bellies full. Yeah, that's, that is one thing that I've heard about, you know, baiting states is that it does become almost like a, a, a competition of who can yeah, have the biggest corn pile. And I've actually heard, heard some pretty hilarious stories where like, you know, one guy's like, well, I'm going to dump a whole ton of corn behind my barn. And the other guy's like, oh, you're going to dump a ton? I'll dump eight tons. And literally guys will have like semi trucks full of corn pull up and like dump them down in there. Yep. It's like a dueling Absolutely. dueling bait piles contest or something. Absolutely. And and you know the problem with that is you give the deer so many options. They don't need to condense themselves down to bedding in one spot and feeding in one spot. They can just move around. There's never this huge need for feed it's everywhere so a buck might hit your spot and then not be back for eight days maybe you're there maybe you're not when he shows up but if you find that one concentrated region where the feed is right now maybe maybe like i said it's an acorn flat yeah so maybe. so you so you're talking about a combination of boots on the ground and trail cameras. Those are your two big tools for figuring things out this time of year. Oh, you yeah, you you have to be you have to be able to make adjustments on the fly and without doing some boots on the ground scouting and running cameras. I mean, it's going to be very hard to just mentally pull a spot out of your head and say, "Yep, there's probably going to be a big buck here to go hunt." I mean, yeah, because it well, it goes without it goes without saying, but I'm going to say it anyway, right? It's it's going to be completely different than it was during the rut. You know, the oh, spots, yeah, yeah. the and, spots. You know, first of all, you're not yeah. going to just go hunt funnels because this time of year, you know, deer 
typically are probably not moving all that far from where they're bedding and feeding. So yep. it's not it's not like you're trying to catch deer cruising long distances between bedding and feeding areas. And so so you've got to you've got to completely reevaluate, you know, how you use the landscape in terms yep. of choosing an area to hunt versus what you do early season versus rut, you know, this is a whole new ball game. And so, yeah, you can't just yeah. go back to where your hottest stand was in, you know, Halloween week or middle of November. It's, it's probably not going to happen there. Um, the other thing is, you know, to kind of piggyback on something I just said, um, this time of year, especially if there is, let's take the example you provided. So you find, uh, an acorn flat in, in the forest where there's uh, a pretty good abundance of acorns right now and there's no snow on the ground so they're accessible to the deer and the deer are really hammering those. Chances are those deer are bedding right there too or very close to there. So you have to be pretty sensitive even if you find an area with good deer activity in the late season Combine the fact that the deer are bedding close by with the fact that the woods are pretty well wide open right now because everything's dead. It's very, very sensitive just getting in and out of the area. Oh, yeah. Entry and exit routes are as important as it gets right now and being able to stay undetected because everyone has to remember these deer, like in my state, archery never goes out. Never. Our archery season opens September 28th or 29th this year, and it does not go out till the last Sunday or the first, sorry, the first Sunday in February. Our archery season does not go out this year till I think February 5th or 6th. Those, my deer here start getting hunted the end of September and they go through the archery clear till February 6th. You've got youth season weekend, a two day gun hunt you've got a week-long gun season you've got a two-day gun season and you've got a four-day muzzleloader season all while bow season never goes out so our deer start getting hunted end of september clear into february by the time january rolls around guess what even the we'll say quote unquote dumbest deer in the woods is now pretty dang smart because if they've made it that long They've heard it all, seen it all, witnessed it all, and made it through it all to get to this point. So stands that creak, arrows that make a squeak on the rest as you're coming back to full draw, noisy clothing that brushes up against the oak tree that you're leaning against, all that stuff, you if that happens now, game over, buddy. They will not stick around because any little, any little thing that tips them off now it's run first, ask questions later. You might get away with that in first week of October. The curiosity factor is still there. This time of the year, it's not there. So you've got to be on your P's and Q's this time of year. Getting in, getting out, even when you're on stand. Movement, noise, all that stuff. I mean, that's all very critical now. And your guys, like, you know, we've mentioned, you know, Bill Winky a couple times, um, I've read numerous articles where he talks about the finer points of late season bow hunting. And, and these little fine details are what makes the difference between a guy that punches his tag in January and a guy that watches tails run through the woods. Because at this stage in the game, if every T is not crossed and I isn't dotted, you won't fill tags, but that's part of the challenge though. And in the late season, you're matching wits with the deer that have made it. But they're, they're also, there's a big weakness here, Kristen. And see, this is where I have to un, unfog and uncloud your, your mind and your eyes. At this point in the game, our deer are hungry. We've made it through the rut. We've worn ourselves down. Now we have to feed. You get these cold, cold spells, cold snaps, snow moves in. Guess what? These bucks, they have to go get food. They have to feed. They have to stay in the game as far as maintaining body weight and, and trying to rebuild themselves so they can make it through a bad winter. I realize the winters of today aren't like they were in the seventies and eighties, but, but, but deer don't, deer, you know, deer don't know that. 
They don't know whether the cold's going to come in and last five months or it's going to last three days. They don't know whether a foot of snow is going to be here for a day or be here for three weeks. All they know is, is that when this weather comes in and it's bad, they've got to eat and they got to eat a lot because they're burning a ton of calories and they're still replacing stuff from the rut. That's the weakness right now. And that's where we as bow hunters who are going to hunt late season, you have to have that mindset that our mental and our physical edge on this type of bow hunt is the fact that these deer have to feed. So once we figure out where they're feeding, what they're feeding on, now we can make our game plan to capitalize on their weakness, which is they have to fill their bellies. And that's so, the name of the game in this type of hunt in this type of scenario is they've got to fill their bellies and we have to be where they want to be or where they're going to be to get that done. So it's a where and when scenario. And we've spent yeah. most, we've spent almost the entire show to this point talking about the where, which is, you yep. know, moving around, exploring if we need to do that until we find the sign that's fresh yep. And then getting some cameras confirming, you know, that there's an animal there that you actually want to hunt. Hopefully you're getting some daylight activity. And so now the question becomes when to actually hunt it. You talked about getting right in there, like in that situation with the Oak Flat, just getting right in there. But but how much does the weather play a role into exactly when you're going to do that? So... What I like to do is, is when I find these spots, um, whether it's a field that's littered with, with deer sign and deer tracks and, and, you know, you can just tell it's being hammered right now, or maybe it's the Oak flat that all the signs on we talked about. I try to put myself actually in the deer's head. Okay. Let's take a step back and look at everything. Where's the trails? Where are they coming from? Why would a deer be here? What wind would be favorable for a deer to come to this spot? Is it out of the West? So he can scent check the entire way coming off this trail. Um, where do we think they're potentially th th the good bedding is this time of the year? I'm a South facing slope guy. Your deer want to suck up as much heat and sunlight as they can to stay nice and warm throughout the day. Your South facing slopes. That's where it's at. They love them. Also, here's something else to keep in mind. A lot of people forget this. On south-facing slopes, you will have little shoots off green briars that still grow throughout the winter. You'll have, little, you'll have green grass underneath the snow because even though it's cold, that sunlight is still hitting the forest floor there for the majority of the day. Don't think those deer don't know that stuff's there as well. Another reason why I find a ton of sheds and a ton of deer in late season and into the early spring on south facing slopes is because these dead, these deer can bed there and they've got stuff to nibble and feed on. If you go to a north facing slope right now and look at a patch of greenbrier, there won't be hardly crap on those right now that's fresh new stuff for a deer to eat. Go to a south facing slope and check it out. You'll see all the little shoots coming off, and I guarantee you'll see where deer are nibbling on that. You'll see where there's little patches of green grass that's still starting to, that's continuing to stay green and grow a little bit. Is it a food plot? No. Is it a corn pile? No. But it's something for them to get up midday, stretch, munch on, etc. All these things factor into my game plan on when I'm going to hunt this spot. You know, the wind's a huge factor. Um, weather fronts. I'm a huge proponent of hunting the before and the after. I like to hunt a day or two before a big front blows in because just like how fish feed like crazy before a front moves in, deer do the same thing. After the front moves out, the deer have been hunkered down. They want to feed, you know, maybe, maybe because of a huge snowstorm and ice storm, they had to stay huddled up for a day and a half and they didn't get to do much feeding. The minute that blows out of there, guess what? It's game on. We got to fill our bellies back up. So well, let me let, let me jump. That. Let me jump in and ask you a question here, Clint, because we all know we all know these guys who are like, you know, hey, it's going to be, um, you know, three inches of rain tomorrow and 40 mile an hour sideways winds. You going to be out there? Oh, yeah, man, I'm going to go do an all day sit. You can't kill them from the couch. Hey, tomorrow's going to be a blizzard. There's going to be, you know, 
11 inches of snow and it's going to be blowing 30 mile an hour. Yeah, man, I'm going to be out there. I, you can't kill him from the couch. Would you hunt right in the middle of the storm or you can before and after? You like to be out there in the nasty, nasty weather right when it's at its worst? Or do you think that's worthwhile or, or no? Any day in a tree is a good day for me. Um, but in late season, I err on the side of caution of every time I hunt a spot in late season. In my opinion, your chances get a little smaller each time you go in and you go out. You're leaving some scent behind. You made a little noise coming and going. Maybe you had a deer off in the distance wind you that you didn't even hear blow at you. Maybe a, maybe a buck down below you caught your thermals and, and, and boogered out of there and you don't know. Um, so for me in late season, I feel like your best opportunities to go hunt are the nights where you feel like your highest percentage play is going to be uh, uh, factored in. So typically deer in the middle of a gigantic storm are going to be bedded down. I'm not going to hunt that night, but I'm dang sure going to hunt the night before it and the night after it, because I want to catch that movement before the storm and after the storm. I'm probably not going to hunt during the storm because I don't want to take away a chance where my odds honestly aren't going to be very high. And it's another trip in and out. It's another night of me making a little noise. So, I mean, in late season, I'm, I'm airing on the side of. Well, I'm going to, I'm going to interrupt you and I'm going to agree with you, but I'm going to add something too, Clint. Cause I okay. think, I think you made your point, which is yep. what I thought you were going to say. But the one yep. thing that, the one thing that you didn't say, and this is where I always come in as an advocate. And again, you know, it's going to be because I'm soft and all that, but actually it's just, I mean, I am soft, you know that, Clint, I'm just, I'm just really soft, but, um, I've I gotten, agree, but go on. I've gotten smarter. You're not going to hunt that day in the middle of the storm for every reason you said, which is true, because yep. there's no sense in blowing a spot out when your odds yep. aren't good, but yep. you're also, you're also going to do it because Unless you're Clint Casper or Eddie Claypool or one of these true madmen of bow hunting, you can only physically force yourself to go out at that time of year so many days. And why go out in the middle of the snowstorm, which is going to literally like run you down more than being out on a regular day? Let yourself have that day when the deer probably aren't going to move anyway to catch up on your sleep, stay warm get a good meal, you know, a hot food, and then the next day after it clears when the deer are going to be looking to do the same thing you're looking to do, which is to get basically up and out and moving again after the weather. And, you know, they didn't have that hot food at the dinner table the night before, so they're going to be going for that food the next day. You know, treat yourself a little bit kind this time of year, and that's going to go a long way to helping you stay in the game on those most productive days. I agree with that, and I'm going to add something to it. I personally do not hunt mornings in late season for that exact reason. I want to have myself charged for the evening hunts, and I'll tell you why. It is very hard to beat a buck back to bed in the early season in the rut, if you think you know where a buck might be bedding his core area that he's going to return to and take a little nap before he goes back out to look for a girlfriend, times that by five, and that is how hard it's going to be to beat a buck back to bed in late season, get in there undetected, not heard, not seen, not smelled, and give yourself an opportunity. And then you have to sneak out of a bedroom or of a bedding area. I personally hunt zero mornings in late season. I'm rolling the dice all on evenings because I feel like my odds are way higher, probably two or three times higher. I can get in and get out 
typically, typically 99% of the time, I will not be hunting a bedroom or bedding area. So as deer filter through me or filter past me, or if I'm on a food source, chances are they've either went by me and I can slip out the back door because I've always got multiple different routes on how I can get to and from stands. And once again, you know, if anyone knows Winky or reads his stuff or has read some of my stuff, I mean, I, I piggybacked off him because it, it's, I've been reading his, you know, him talk about entry and exit since I was a little kid. And, and it's the truth. And in late season, it's super important. On food sources, I'll bark like a dog, howl like a coyote, whatever I've got to do to get deer to leave the field or leave the food plot or leave the edge of the brushy field I'm hunting over. So I can get out without being seen and detected. No deer blow. They all scamper off. I, I wait a couple of minutes, let them all clear. I get down, I leave. In the morning, that's not happening. You're blowing deer out that are now going to be messed up for your evening hunt. Now they're on edge. Now they don't know what has happened. So just a little side note, I'm not saying it can't be done in the morning because it can but once again, I am rolling my dice where I feel like my odds are the highest. And in late season, I'm pretty much an evening only guy. And I love to hunt mornings. I'm a morning person. As most of you could probably figure it out over the podcast I've been on with Christian here, I, I get pretty fired up and I'm the same way at four o'clock in the morning or four o'clock in the afternoon. But in late season, I'm an evening only guy for those reasons. And, and I, I do think there's a reason why typically any big bucks killed later in the season, 99.9% of them are evening time kills, not morning. And I think there's a big reason for that. Um, and that's just kind of my own little theory. But if you talk to guys that are killing bucks in January, very few are going to say an AM time, it's going to be PM. Well, yeah. And, and, you know, typically those deer are going to, your daylight activity is going to be more so, like you said, uh, the last hour of daylight more than the first hour of daylight. Because, you know, usually by the time things are getting light, those deer are skedaddling out of those fields or other open areas and they're heading for cover. Because again, you know, going back to some of the things that we've already talked about, they've been pressured for several months now. They're pretty sensitive to the idea of not wanting to have any unnecessary human encounters, you know? Um, Now, one thing that we haven't talked about yet, but I wanna ask you, um, certainly you'd have a lot more to add on this than I would just because I don't tend to do, you know, a whole lot of late season hunting. Certainly it's not a core focus of my hunting strategy, but you do quite a bit of it. Talk to me about your stand setups and uh, your blind setups for the late season. Are there specific things that you do differently late season versus other times of the year in terms of uh, the kind of trees that you'll select, um, the height of your stands, the placement of your stands, anything like that, and then uh, in addition to talking about stands, you know, touch on the topic of ground blinds. I don't think that you, Clint, probably tend to do a whole lot of hunting out of ground blinds, but I know like Bill Winky's big, especially for the late season on ground blinds. And I'm wondering if that's something uh, that you find as a useful tool, you know, in particular for the late season. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I've come to appreciate and, and love um, a little more so now than I used to the ground blind effect um, for for two reasons. Uh, number one, you're on the ground, not up in a tree. Um, just the warmth factor and not being skylined, two huge proponents to ground blinds. Um, this time of year, you cannot hang on a telephone pole type tree and expect deer to not skyline you and figure out what's going on. It's going to happen. They've seen it all. Um, You would have to be a statue up there with literally no movement to even have an opportunity potentially to fool a big old mature doe or or, or a buck 
So that's one huge, huge, huge um, positive to ground blinds. If you put them up and, and, and I brush them in, um, and when I, when I mean brush in, I mean, I make it to where it looks like it's not even a ground blind. It is a brush pile with one or two holes to where I, I predict deer to be, and that is it. Um, a lot of times you can't even tell there's a ground blind actually in the pile. It just looks like a big pile. I'll use, maybe, maybe I'm hunting close to a cornfield. I'll cut corn stalks, zip tie them. I'll have pine needles. I'll have oak branches. I mean, I will make it to where you, you don't even know a ground blinds in there. I think that's important to brush them in. A lot of guys use the elevated blinds that are six, seven, eight foot tall. Um, they, they keep them up year round. Deer get used to them. I know Winky does that. Um, the turtle blinds, the, you know, blah, blah, blah. Those work great. Once deer get used to it, it's just a permanent fixture there, like a piece of old equipment that's been there for 40 years. They don't even care. Um, so there's a, there's definitely a place for, for blinds. Obviously your visibility is limited. You're not above, you can't see as much. Um, it's, you know, sometimes it can be a little, a little more, I shouldn't say weird, but a little more difficult to draw your bow because, you know, you are in a chair and, and, and you know, sometimes that can be a little bit of, yeah, but it's worth it. It's worth it because 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 let me tell you something. You can't bring a buddy heater in your tree stand, but you no. can bring a nope. you can bring a buddy heater in your ground blind and oh yeah, buddy heaters yeah. like buddy heater is life in the late season on those really cold days, man. Yep. Oh yeah. Yep. And, I, and I'll tell you something else. You can get away with more movement in there. Um, I don't open any windows to where light comes in except for the, the, the one or two holes. So it's a black hole in there. I wear all black. So it's very hard for a deer to look in and see me moving to begin with. Um, that's another, another huge key, you know, is movement. I mean, you can, you can get away with more in there. Your sense contained. Um, I always run my ozonics in there and I mean, it's, it's definitely a, a very useful tool. Well, um, I'll tell you, I'll tell you another, another thing. Tree stands, like, as you're talking about all this, I was thinking back to October when Timmy and I came out there. And yep. I, I was even thinking about the two spots that we hunted, okay? The, yep. the, the, the one stand where the big seven was yep. and the other stand where that nice 10-pointer was hanging around. And those are both great stands, but to be honest with you, like both of them, I can't imagine getting into either of those stands the first week of January, like oh, and, no. and and having deer out in those open fields and just walking over and getting. But I can actually think that both of those spots, though, could be really good if you had set a ground blind. Let's say you put a ground blind at both of those spots right after the crops were harvested and you went in yep. within a couple of days and set up a ground blind and then just left it there with the whole intention that you were never even going to hunt it until the late season those yep. deer would have completely accepted it by that point and i think both those spots would actually not be bad late season spots if you had the blind like all set and brushed in both those stands right now are in different trees they're both in oaks that still have leaves and I've actually brushed in more branches around for added cover and added um, effect to not get skyline. So it's funny that you brought those two spots up because the trees they were in were awesome until the leaves fell. And then it was time to make the switch. And that, that translates right into the, to the tree stand stuff that, you know, you wanted me to touch on. Um, you know, you, first and foremost, you've got to have a quiet stand. And by quiet, I mean, you cannot get away with cracking, popping, shifting. Uh, maybe you've got a strap that's a little loose. And when you shift from one side to the other, your weight, the stand creaks. None of that can take place right now. Absolutely none of that can happen. Because if that happens on a calm night, and a deer at 25 yards is there feeding in front of you and hears that, it will be take off out of there first, ask questions later, and everybody else is going to go with that deer. 
Um, so my number one thing is lubricate using non-scented oil. Make sure your stand is ready to go for late season because what you can get away with in October, you will not get away with right now. Check your straps. If you've got to reposition your stand a little bit and retighten everything down to keep it from creaking, do so. Make sure it's ready to go. Ladder, same way. Nothing worse than getting up halfway up your tree and your ladder cracks and pops and shifts and that cannot happen. You, I mean, I, I'm a fanatic when it comes to making sure my late season sets are all secured as tight as possible, no movement, no creaking. If there is creaking, it's got to be fixed immediately. I mean, because like I said, you, you just – the window for opportunity is so small. And when you do get your chance, you don't want it to be blown because your stand creaked. Um, I, I remember, I remember that time that Timmy literally just took your shirt off and flogged you out in the field when that, when that stand creaked and he had told you he, he didn't want any creaks or pops. And I mean, that was well, sad. I, 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 I mean, I thought I, I was going to have to take you to the emergency room after that. Uh, I got scolded pretty. I, I'm still a little timid after that took place. I mean, your 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 son Timmy definitely. I mean, he likes it. He I runs a he runs a tight ship, but I'm glad yeah, to see that that does. you know he does it he does it because he loves because I can I see now that the lesson has sunk in because yeah, you know he, 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 you you you've you've had a lot more success in the late season since then because you're that's, you're, that's right your stealth factor is at 100% now. Yes. Instead of being at 89, it's now up to about 99 or 100. And, uh, <laughs> and, and you know, and, and, and our buddy, our buddy Bo Martonic learned that from Jim Hole up in, up in the Bozone. That's Same, right. deal. Yep, Same deal. Same deal. A absolute and you know, stealth. And, you know, uh, Jim has uh, a great formula for success that I know Bo learned and, and I picked up on years ago. If you can create cover around you inside your stand to break up the entire outline, not just skyline, but I mean, when I hang stands right now, I'm looking for trees that still have leaves, lots of limbs, etc. If the right tree's there, but the right cover is not, I will find cover and bring it there. And if I have to cut oak branches with leaves still or pine branches, I will go up there with a little drill and screws and I will make myself a nest. I will make it to where I'm not going to be skylined and picked out and I will blend right in with my surroundings because this time of year, like I said, it's already hard to get away with anything. So you don't want to give them the opportunity to even potentially think you might be lurking from above. So the finer details in blind placement, stand placement, you know, um, something else to think about because everyone loves to hang in oak trees and, and I absolutely love to hang in red and whites. Here's the one drawback and, and, and I've had buddies unfortunately lose bucks because of this. Uh, just had one last week actually. Those oaks, you've got shaggy bark on. Um, typically, any type of fabric, when you rub against it, if you're going up or down, it's going to make what to a deer would sound like probably fingers on a chalkboard. It might not sound like a lot to you, but to a late season buck on a cold, calm evening at five o'clock in the crisp air, it's going to sound like a bomb just went off in the tree stand when you brush up against it. So I will advise, pay very close attention to how close you are to the trunk of your tree, the branches that are around you. It's great to have a nest up there, but just remember, you cannot afford to brush up against, especially your oak trees. I mean, I, I have a set that I'm going to go to tonight and I absolutely love the tree. Lots of cover but it's got shaggy bark. It's an old, you know, black swamp oak. Um, I have to be very, very, very mindful to not have my back actually against the trunk of the tree, to not be leaning against any part of that tree, any limbs, any part of it. I have to make sure that does not happen um, when deer are coming in or, or if deer are already there. 
because guaranteed they will pick up on that sound. 100% they'll blow out of there and that's a missed opportunity and now you've alerted deer to your presence. Now you're back to square one on trying to figure out, okay, how, how can I get this done now that I've educated deer in a spot in late season? So that's something to think about. I mean, I love oaks this time of year because a lot of them, especially here in Ohio, they're still holding leaves. It's great cover. But I have had this mess up bow hunts for me, and I've had plenty of buddies lose bucks. Like I said, just last week, a good friend of mine went to go to full draw, and his elbow brushed up against the trunk of the tree as he was coming back to full draw. Solid, probably 150-inch 11 point that he's been hunting all year. Finally gets his opportunity. Here's the sleeve. Hit that. And runs off takes the whole field with him and they stand at the other end and stomp and snort and blow 150 yards away. I mean, it was <laughs> nothing to worse. Hear him tell the story. Oh, no, was, nothing worse. Oh, it, nothing it, I worse. Mean, it was, it was so painful to hear him tell me this story because I've been there and I know what it's like to hunt one buck the entire year. And finally he's at 27 yards, 28 yards. I mean, he's, it's going to be a chip shot. Yeah. Oh, and well, I mean, happen, yeah it's just oh that that is as gut-wrenching as it possibly can get so don't don't be my buddy don't be me keep that in mind um well let's let's do this let's end it with this because we're getting we're getting on to time and i think we've covered a pretty good roadmap for a successful late yep. season hunt and so the only thing that we haven't talked about and, and like I said we'll wrap it up with this because we've now you know we found an area and timing and setting our stands and blinds and all that now let's just have a, a few minutes here on actually making that shot what are the considerations for you uh, in particular maybe to the late season if there's any differences at all versus other times of the year in terms of just being ready for that opportunity and then putting that one good arrow where you need it when you absolutely need it to be there. Yep. So at this point, we're, uh, we're in the red zone. We got our buck. He's in range um, or he's walking into range. We know it's going to happen. Um, at this moment in time, mentally, I think the switch has to flip into the mode of it's not a matter of am I going to get a shot? It's a matter of when. So I think your confidence has to already in your mind be that you know you're going to get your opportunity. You just have to pick the right time to get back to full draw and make it happen. And I think with that mindset, it will put you in a state of, okay, what are the steps needed to get to full draw? I know I'm gonna get my opportunity, here it is. I've waited all year for it, I'm ready. Okay, he's coming in, he's heading towards a spot that I know is 30 yards. I'm gonna check to see, and uh, I shoot a single pin slider. I'm always double checking to make sure my, I know exactly where are my pins at? Okay, okay, he's going to walk behind these two bushes. When he gets behind these bushes, I'm going to be able to come to full draw. So mentally, as this buck is coming in, I'm making my roadmap, my game plan, whatever you want to call it. I'm step-by-step step in my head going through my checklist of how am I going to get to full draw? Because in my opinion, you have to have a shooter mentality um, as a bow hunter. Confidence is everything. Uh, it's not cocky. It's confidence. If you let me get back to full draw, I'm going to kill you. That's, that is my mentality. And I think that's the mentality that, um, every archer needs to have. If you let me get back to full draw and you don't know that I'm there, you're in trouble, buddy. So everything in my mind works in conjunction with getting back to full draw. And I'm solely focused on getting each task done and then going to the next. I'm checking my yardage. I'm figuring out at what point can I draw my bow. I'm going to get my bow drawn back. I'm now going to check my anchor points. I'm now going to settle into my shot. 
I'm now going to focus on that one single hair that my pin's going to sit on and I'm going to push and pull until the shot breaks. And at that point, when I watch my arrow smack the center of that buck, right, right in the, right in the pump house, I will then allow myself to now be excited. But you have to remember, you've waited all year for this. This is your opportunity. We're not going to rush it. We're not going to make a mistake. We're going to get back to full draw. We're going to get this buck killed. And that's got to be the mindset. We're not going to start the party yet. We're not going to tap the keg. We're not going to call the taxidermist. We're not going to be thinking about where am I going to put this giant buck in my house? We're going to think about getting back to full draw. Cause once we get there, Christian, we know this buck is dead and he doesn't even know it yet. So I think in late season, when you do get an opportunity, you have to make sure mentally you're doing everything you possibly can to prepare yourself for getting back to full draw. And once you get to that point, now it's your time to shine. But I think you've got to have a step-by-step program to keep yourself focused because you're excited. Maybe you've waited all year. You haven't even bent your limbs back yet. It's January 13th. It's me two years ago. Didn't draw my bow back one time, 197 days. My buck's at 37 yards quartering away. The whole time he's walking in, I'm thinking, if you come in here, buddy, I'm telling you right now, I'm going to kill you. There's just, there's no doubt in my mind. If you let me get back to full draw, I'm going to kill you. 37 yards quartering away, buried the pin, pushed and pulled, the shot broke. Then we can party. We can, we can enjoy it from that point on but we got to get our job done first. And I think that's the main, if I'm going to stress anything, it's get your job done first. And then we can get excited. We can party, we can dance, we can sing, we can, we can freaking crack the kegs open, get the bells and whistles and the whistles and, and the sirens out. But we got to keep the task at hand. I think the mental checklist from, you know, everything from picking where we're going to draw, checking yardage, um, getting anchored. I think if you do a step-by-step program in your mind, when the moment of truth arises, it keeps you from letting buck fever and target panic set in and you're focused on the task at hand and your final task is push and pull the bow until the shot breaks. And then from there, time to celebrate. But but we got to get the job done first. Yeah, well, 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 well said, well said, and I'm gonna add, I'm gonna add a couple things, just specific to the late season, and I don't disagree, I don't disagree with anything you just said. A couple things you mentioned, you know, you haven't drawn, you haven't bent limbs, and you're talking specifically during the. during hunting, of course, you'd practice during the oh, season. Yeah, yeah. But but one, one thing I was going to say specific to the late season is that obviously it's not very nice out usually during the late season. It's cold, and unless yeah. you're one unless you're one of the few bow hunters who has an indoor range at your house, it's not yep. that fun to go outside and spend a half an hour shooting. But I would right. remind people, you know, go outside even if you're only going to shoot three arrows. Keep yourself sharp, and yep. and also because of the cold, you know, like you probably use them too. I don't know. I'm huge on the charcoal hand warmers during oh, the yeah. late season, and I keep those in my pockets because I don't like to wear gloves. But yep. y- you know, a- anyone who's listening, you know, chances are. Most of us have been in one of those situations where it's a really cold day. We've got a buck that comes in that we'd like to shoot. And, you know, if you're somebody like me who doesn't like to wear gloves, you take your hands out. You've got to grab that bow. You've got to get your release. And now you're at a point where it's a waiting game. And I've had some situations, as I know you have, Clint, where it's beyond the point of pain. You know what I mean? It's pretty pretty intense, excruciating pain because now you've exposed your hands to the elements for, you know, sometimes those encounters can take quite a while before either a shot presents itself or the deer moves off. And um, 
just whatever modifications you're going to do, if you're going to use like one of those thermal wraps or um, if you're going to try and shoot with a glove, which you normally might not do, I mean, you have to figure out how you're going to personally decide you want to deal with the elements. Make sure you have any anything that you're changing from how you normally shoot, make sure you have that all dialed before you go yeah. out there because that's another really easy way to flub a shot. It, oh, yeah. you know, hit your, hit your yeah. arm. Yeah. Oh, that. Yeah. Perfect. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. All that stuff. So, yeah. So there's a lot. So we need to wrap it up, man. But uh, boy, there was a lot there. There must have been a lot there because we either gave a, an hour and five minutes of really solid, hard hitting bow hunting insight or we were just an hour or five minutes of hot air. Well, we'll let the viewers and the listeners tell us what they think. I think it was... <laughs> probably some of the, the most outstanding information and airways to ever hit their ears. But that's just me. And I don't want to sound biased, but hey, when you talk, uh, well, hopefully, listen, Christian, when you talk, I listen. Hopefully, hopefully we just help a few people find some success during the late season this year. And uh, I'm going to be just glad that I killed my buck on like November 9th or whatever it was, because I still don't really like going out there in the cold, so I'm, I'm just feeling I'm just feeling like my normal happy self that I that I don't have to. But uh, you're still at it, and I'm kind of counting on you because you know if you don't kill late season bucks, who's going to tell us how it's done? So I fully expect that even though you're not having much luck right now finding one to go after, that sometime between now and the new year you're going to get zoned in and in january at some point i have full faith and confidence that clint casper is going to be texting me yet another photo of a big mature late season buckeye bruiser and i will be the very first to congratulate you on another job well done well if nothing else I'm going to go down swinging if I do go down, that's for sure, because I sure do love to hunt late season, as you know, and I'm sure everyone's gathered from this podcast that uh, late season probably my favorite time of the year to hunt. So if nothing else, I'm going to have a daggone good time doing it. I'm going to enjoy the cold and enjoy the snow, because come July when I'm on a tractor raking hay in 92-degree heat with 80% humidity, I'm going to wish I was in a stand in 10-degree weather with a foot of snow below me. Well... Thanks again for your time, Clint. I certainly wish you the best of luck, and I know that we'll be having you back again uh, very soon for another episode. So uh, Merry Christmas to you, and uh, thanks again. Thank you for listening to Peterson's Bowhunting Radio, the official podcast of hardcore bowhunters. Pick up the latest issue of Peterson's Bowhunting on your local newsstand, or check us out on the web at bowhuntingmag.com. 